Welcome to the Her Inspired Journey podcast, a show all for women about living your best life and fulfilling your passions from the backcountry to the table. No matter where you are, what hurdles you faced, or where you want to go next, we're right here on this journey with you. It's time to take charge, pave your way, and create success. All right, you guys, we are doing it again. And today I have a really, really cool guest on Alyssa Mahaney out of Southern Oregon, who is a a predator manager. That's basically her job. She gets to hunt and uh, just be in the outdoors. She gets to run, um, you know, range rides and just see what's going on. She keeps track of the wolves here in Oregon and uh, is definitely doing her part to be involved in what's going on with those changes. So I'm really excited to have her on the show today. We do talk about trapping, uh, using dogs, her life growing up as a houndsman, um, and then we also talk about spring bear hunting here in Oregon. So Alyssa is originally from northern Maine, so she's had some transitions. Her job has brought her here ultimately, but it's really cool. I'm glad that she's in Oregon because this conversation is super fun, and I think that you'll find some insight. So if you're looking to spring bear hunt maybe for the first time or if you're a little bit on the newer side to spring bear hunting, there should be some tips in here that will help you get acquainted with just how to figure out where they're at and to make this year a successful one for you. So I hope that you enjoy today's show. Before we get too crazy though, I have to tell you this. If you're not getting the backcountry fuel box, you are seriously missing out. You've heard me talk about it before, especially if you've listened to the show or you've seen them on social media. The backcountry fuel box is a serious edge up on getting started, having the things that you need as far as snacks, bars, meals, um, trying different things out for when you go out on your backcountry hunt or if you're going pack rafting or if you're going on some adventure where you're going to need snacks, gosh, who doesn't, you have to try these boxes out. And I think that if you knew how much value is packed into them, all the goodness and the variety of different things that you get to try before you commit to anything, I think you'll be really excited. The boxes are typically $33 a month. They ship out at the middle of the month. It's a monthly subscription, but you don't have to stay subscribed if you don't want to. You can try it for a month or keep it ongoing, whatever you decide. I would be hard pressed to think that you'd want to cancel because the box boxes, let me tell you, are packed with so much good stuff. You can use the code HERINSPIRED to save another 10% off. So you're getting a box for under 30 bucks shipped right to your door full of all of the stuff that you need to have in your pack so that you can fuel your adventure. Go to backcountryfuelbox.com and use the code HERINSPIRED to save 10% at checkout. I promise you won't regret it. All right, we are doing it again, jumping into another episode of the Her Inspired Journey podcast. And I have somebody y'all really want to hear from because this chick is awesome. Uh, Per the usual, started following her uh, via social uh, because I was living vicariously through her adventures. Um, She has a pretty cool job that she's just about to tell you about. Welcome to the show, Alyssa Mahaney. Hey, y'all. Hey, y'all. What's up? How are you? Glad to have you here. So selfishly, I scheduled this podcast when the daylight is the most prominent coming through my office window. So I'm like multitasking here, a little bit of like a sun, you know, just enjoying the sunshine, talking to you. And uh, it doesn't hurt that we get to talk about some of my favorite things, uh, being in the outdoors, but also about spring bear hunting. Before we kick that off, tell us a little bit about you, how you got to Oregon, because I know that you're not originally from here, and a little bit about your job. So I'm from northern Maine, and I've been a hunting guide for 13 years now. So I started out as a guide uh, specifically for black bear in northern Maine and moose. Uh, I've ran hound dogs my entire life. I'm a third-generation trapper and houndsman. So I started guiding with my grandfather, and it just kind of went that way. And I decided to go to college for wildlife management and So I have my master's degree in wildlife management with a concentration in predators because they're my favorite species. Um, So I started working for the U.S. Department of Agriculture after my bachelor's degree, and I traveled from Maine to Massachusetts and Pennsylvania over to Montana, and then that's how I ended up in Oregon was through my job. (laughs) So pretty cool, but yeah been running hounds forever started running hounds out here I brought my cat dogs um I no longer use dogs for bear 
So that was an adjustment for me, was changing the full-time cat dogs, but it's been a blast over here. So how do you see that difference? Like as somebody who, it sounds like you grew up running dogs for bear and now being in a state where, you know, obviously it's prohibited, like how does that change it up? What Has it changed your views on hunting bears with dogs or what does that look like for you? Uh, it actually has. Um, so this last year, uh, last fall, was the first bear I've ever harvested it, harvested with no dogs, no traps, and no bait. So in the state of Maine, we uh, harvest bears by either hound dogs, bait sites, trapping, we use snares, or uh, luck. And so I, I move out to Oregon, and you can't use any of that. So it's strictly just kind of spot and stock, essentially, or hunting over berry patches in the clear cuts. So I harvested a 300-pound bear uh, last fall via the, that harvest method, and it was very crazy, and it highlighted how much I think bear hunting with hounds or bait is actually better because I was sitting up there, and, you know, I, I took a shot at 320 yards, which is not that far. Um, but I'm seeing some people take shots at like four or five, 600 yards. And I'm thinking like, you're looking through your field glasses, or your binoculars, whatever you call them. And I'm like, you know, you can't see whether it's a boar or a sow, you know. And then the amount of people that actually can recognize that just from sight is, you know, on the smaller scale. And I'm thinking like, this is actually pretty tough to justify what bear you're shooting and being selective without these hounds or bait where you're much closer, you know, to 30 yard, 40 yard distance or closer when using a bait site and then using hound dogs, they're right in the tree and you can see the size of the animal and the sex of the animal. So I was like, the spawn stock is super cool. It was a totally different type of sensation that I felt when it came to harvesting the bear, but I it definitely heightened my um, views on using dogs or traps or bait for bear hunting to be uh, selective, I guess you could say, a better harvest. Um, I can only imagine how many bears are shot in the state of Oregon that are, you know, second-year cubs, you know, in the 100 to 150 range. There's probably a lot. And I do and see these, and hear a lot yeah. about that, yeah. Yeah, and then these older bears who are in the three, four, five hundred range probably are still, you know, living and making it through because most people are, you know, taking shots at the second year three year olds. So mm-hmm. I kind of thought that was pretty interesting. So something that you bring up is sexing. So it's it is really hard. Um it's and it's fun because like having cameras up or getting to like just be out and about glassing up bears, it's fun to like try to determine what the sex is. Obviously, if you get to take a shot and harvest, then you kind of like get to, you know, put an actual answer to your guess. Um, but I know that there's a lot of people that don't have a, like a priority over shooting a mature boar over shooting a mature sow. So, you know, obviously there's, there's reasons that we can talk about why shooting boars is really important. They will kill cubs. You know, there's a lot of different things that go into that. But when it comes to your personal decision or um, even we can take it to a science level, like what what helps the ecosystem um, be a little bit more in harmony if you're taking shots on mature boars or mature sows? Well, I think that's state dependent. In the state of Oregon, there is a lot of black bears um, ever since they outlawed um, different methods of harvest in the 90s. So there's a lot of black bears. So essentially shooting sows is not a terrible thing. Um, Where in states where there's less of a bear population, you know, you'd rather shoot more boars. The thing when it comes to shooting boars versus sows is if you're shooting a boar, um, you know, you're kind of, if you're shooting an older, mature boar, you're getting rid of a bear that probably kills a lot more cubs than most people know about. Um, and it lets the juveniles come up and mature out and start breeding more because the mature boar is going to breed to a lot more sows because they're stronger, they're more dominant, and they just have the run of the mill, essentially. So, you know, it, it really depends on the state, in my mind, dependencies kind of a thing, but in a state or like Oregon where there's a lot of bears and a lot of cougars, I don't, I think either sex is, it's not, you know, shoot the boars, shoot the sows. I don't think there 
you know, is a, a major difference when it comes to the population control. And you kind of have to think about it like segmented, right? Because you're looking at the short term or versus like the long term. So and it's kind of hard because if you're, you know, looking at the short term, you might have you might be harvesting a board that's going to kill a lot more cubs. So in the short term, it's going to help control a little bit more of that population in the long term. Then then there's less mature animals you know, so, right. but then we're talking about what I would consider, and I may be wrong in this, but this is my opinion, an overpopulation of black bears in Oregon. So, you know, it's just like, it's like splitting hairs, you know, to try to figure out which one's best um, as exactly. far as that harvest. Exactly. Which is, I think, why ODFW is probably starting to hand out more tags. Like, they've re- they've introduced the spring tags, and it seems like everybody who I've talked to has applied for a spring bear tag has got a spring bear tag. So it's not, like, a very selected, you know, number of tags they're handing out. It seems to be on the higher scale. And I think that ODFW is probably going to start opening, you know, more tags or more areas to hunt, stuff like that, because they're going to have to figure out other management methods if, um, you know, dogs aren't on the table, trapping's not on the table, baiting's not on the table. You know, it's just one of those things where you're going to have to start managing certain populations in other ways. And the easiest way to do that is start handing out more tags. So they could eventually down the road, I mean, I don't know this for facts, but in my mind, they could start handing out two spring bear tags or, you know, and then two fall bear tags, something like that. And that could just more take should stabilize the population a little bit more when it comes to not so much of a giant increase like we've been seeing here. And I wonder if they will, because they do offer that second tag. If you fill a fall here in Oregon, um, they'll offer a second tag for you. So I wonder if they will do that in uh, the spring as well, because to my best knowledge, and I wish that I would have done some research on the numbers, but quota hasn't been met in like umpteen years, right? So you know, every year it just gets even more and more populated because the, the tags that are being handed out for the most part are never even being come like it's not even close to being, you know, filled. So that, right. that quota every year just kind of increases um, as far as, you know, that that um, uh, what you call it, the the fine line between, you know, what needs to be managed and what's ultimately not being managed. Right. I mean, when you start taking away certain management methods in the tools, such as hunting and trapping, I mean, the only, I mean, and more housing, up. I mean, I've been here for, it'll be two years in June, and I've seen so much housing go up, and you're just taking away more habitat, which means, you know, less hunting, more habitat being taken away, you're just crunching numbers when it comes to predators on the landscape. So they're going to have to somehow increase tags or get more people to start bear hunting because I don't think that you'll probably see dogs or trapping on the table. I mean, they could possibly someday pass a baiting, but I mean, technically the state of Oregon has so many raspberry bushes and acorns and all this wild natural feed that it is not difficult to harvest a bear in western Oregon I'm not sure about eastern Oregon but western Oregon I mean I sat for two weeks in August before I shot my bear and I probably watched eight bears a day come in to just this one clear cut and I hunted between three different clear cuts so it's not a difficult situation as long as you put your time in you know and have a good pair of field glasses and practice long range shooting for what you're comfortable with. Um, it's, I don't think it's very difficult to harvest a bear in the state. Uh, if you know your berry patches, cause they just, they're just coming right in to feed on all that come that time of year. Yeah. They're still sure. on a food cycle. So they come out of the den looking for proteins. That's when you see them eating fawns and carrion, which is, you know, dead carcasses. Uh, they're heavy on that. And then, their food cycle changes when the food starts changing on the landscape. So then all of the greens start coming up. So all your grasses and your jack of the pulpits on all your different plants. And then they start eating all that. And then they go into the summer months where it's grubs and fatty stuff like that. And bees nests and honeys. And you'll, you know, you'll be through the woods and you'll be like, Oh, a bear rolled over this rock and, or ate this, you know, ground nest. And then it starts going into the, berry season and the nut season and they're eating all that so it's just a cycle that they go through and then they start eating bark and tree branches and that's when they they clog up and go into den 
And it's it's so true because you it, it really isn't hard to find bears in Oregon. Typically, you'll find them when you're not even you know out there looking for them. And if you know what they're going to be eating, where that food source is at, that's where you're going to find them. That's where you'll end up running into a bunch of scat or you'll see sign that's, signs that they've been in there. Um, I have to go back just for a second because I've just out of curiosity. It's it's very intriguing to me that Oregon will allow for baiting um, deer, um, but not for bears. And if you look at the overall like population of you know, uh, of deer versus, you know, it could be whitetail, mule deer, blacktail, whatever. They're not like the same level. If you look at bears, bears are um, more overpopulated. Deer in the state of Oregon, as a general rule, is not is not overpopulated. So how do they, how do you think that they will allow for baiting that species, but not for baiting predators that are ultimately also taking out some of those herd numbers? You know, I don't know because I, I think it, it, it I think it goes back to it depends on if that was on the ballot initiative. I obviously didn't live here in the nineties. I was in Maine. Um but if they if when they outlawed hound hunting, if baiting was also on that ballot initiative to, to outlaw the the use of hounds and bait to kill black bears and lions, I think mountain lions were also on that that ballot initiative, I think it has to go back to a ballot initiative gotcha. from my understanding. So ODFW can't just say, okay, we're going to allow baiting of, you know, for black bears. I think it would have to go back to a public ballot initiative for that to pass. So deer hunting over bait is legal because it was never outlawed by the public. Mm-hmm. So I think that would have to happen again. So like in Washington, uh, one of my good, good friends is up in Washington, and he works for the Bureau of Reclamation, but he does a lot of predator stuff for um, agricultural or human health and safety for mountain lions. And him and a few other people pushed and pushed and pushed through a lot of efforts and time um, to pass a pursuit season in Washington with hounds for mountain lions. And the governor signed it last April of 2019. And now there's going to be a season where you're allowed to run your dogs on lions or be kind of an agent for conflict species. So he's able to, so if a mountain lion comes in and kills someone's sheep, he's able to go use his dogs to remove that lion because it it is now a conflict lion and it's a threat. And that's not so, legal in Oregon. So, are you saying that that's so I, not legal in Oregon if there is a, a like a problem problematic animal that they can't pursue it even like on a federal level with dogs? On a federal level, you can. Um, OEFW Conic X. OEFW has agents that they can they can call. So, I think your local houndsman. I don't participate in this, but your local houndsman uh, can go through a background check. And then go through ODFW and you can become an agent. And then you're allowed to be called if there is a conflict call. And ODFW calls you and says, you know, uh, George Jones had his sheep killed. And um, can you go see if it was a lion or not? And then that local houndsman slash ODFW agent can then go there and take care of the problem. Or at least try and run the uh, cougar off. Gotcha. So Oregon does the same thing, but it's, it's a very long, lengthy process to get into it. You have to pass a background check, uh, criminal investigation, the whole thing. So they make it, they make it, you know, not your average guy can go do it. You know, if you get a DUI, you're out, you're out. But you know, if you're all in the clear, you can, you can participate. I don't, I don't participate in that program, but, um, there's a couple of houndsmen I know that do. Sure. Interesting. Well, it's good that there's at least an option. It does sound like, you know, it'd be nice if that were a little bit more of a normalcy that that could happen. Um, Obviously, there's got to be protection and making sure that the right people are doing that and not abusing that power. Um, But just to know that that security is there if those animals do become problematic. Um, I know here where I grew up, I literally live way too close to home, right? Um, Which is, it's a blessing, but I haven't, I haven't left. So I've seen a lot of change in this area 
And one of those is just seeing, you know, obviously, like you said, our housing is developing in a lot more places and we're expanding that reach. But even in this small town where I grew up on, there's literally cougars walking down the streets like multiple times, multiple different animals. Um, so it's just interesting to see, you know, I think it is our expansion, but it's also just the increase in population overall. And, you know, kind of going back into bears, people seem to hold them with such high esteem that like if you're looking at, you know, like a prey animal, like a deer, people don't necessarily tend to like have the heartstrings pulled on that like they do when you're talking about, you know, teddy bears, right? So I think that's another reason why those laws are still in place that you can do, you know, you can bait, use bait sites for deer versus bear. But, you know, I'm also hoping that with a change and with the way things are going in Oregon, that that doesn't come back on, you know, the vote, that we can't do that. Um, whether you do or not, whether you like to go, you know, fair chase 100% or whatever, it's totally up to you. But I think it is nice to be able to have those options. You know, I think it just comes down uh, on education and lack of experience and bias perspectives. I see this all the time. I have talked to hundreds of people in my passings between conferences, seminars, and just wildlife biology stuff that I've just gotten to a simple hunting conversation with. And obviously hounds is a major part of my life. And I have changed more people's opinions about hounds and trapping than people dis- than, than, than people leave and disagree with me. It's I think it's just that they see what they see posted by certain, you know, groups that make it look really bad. And, you know, like some of the things that some of these groups post, I'm like, whoa, like I, if I didn't know better, I would vote against it too. You know what I mean? It's very convincing. It's very emotional. It pulls and you're like, whoa, that's not okay. Um, Same thing with the wild Mustangs. And the amount that there's wild horses running around with zero management. Uh, and now they're just in BL corrals just sitting there. Like, the same thing. It's it's the, it's the heartstrings. But if there was someone that reached out and just had a simple conversation with, you know, just examples and, you know, facts that, it, you know, and then, you know, evidence to support the facts that you're trying to promote or preach then I think that mindsets can be changed like I've taken someone on a hound hunt before that was a hundred percent against hound hunting and they were like that was one of the hardest hunts I've ever been on you know mm-hmm. in the lower 48 I mean look at Donnie Vincent it's a prime example Donnie Vincent was totally against hound hunting until he put his prejudices down and he talks about it and went on first mountain lion hunt with dogs and he said it was the most like invigorating and emotional experience he's ever been on. And that's someone who's been on some unbelievable hunts, you know, Alaskan sheep, you know, all these crazy hunts. And he was totally changed just by going and seeing how the hunt actually went. So I think when it comes down to baiting or trapping or hounds and the public vote, I think it's just lack of education and where you're getting your information from. If you're strictly looking at groups that are, you know, trying to go against that, then that's all you're going to know. But if you broaden your horizons and really research, I think this is one also total rabbit hole, but one of the biggest problems with society today when it comes to just voting, like people get so narrowed in on one candidate or just, or their party that they're not looking at the bigger picture. You know what I mean? And they get stuck and totally narrow-minded and they don't aren't like oh well you know that makes sense and they use the one source like I'm a biologist so I naturally analyze things extremely out of the box and bigger picture because that's just how my mind operates I'm super analytical and maybe that's from growing up trapping and having to know everything to be a successful trapper but I have a difficulty with you know, then the blinders on the narrow minded mindset. So I always go into a conversation thinking that the person's probably going to be narrow minded and have their blinders on and come <laughs> from a biased perspective. So I just try to bring that into the conversation, knowing that, you know, I have to bring I have to bring something that makes that relates to them so that they can understand it. 
so that they're like, oh, wow, like, that makes sense, instead of them just, like, having no clue. So I think that that helps when it comes to changing minds. And I'm already seeing the changeover in a lot of aspects when it comes to certain methods. I mean, I mean, look at how much it's changing. The fitness world and the hunting world have just collided. Yeah. I mean, that's like huge for you. Look at, look at how that collided. Yeah. And now this organic food, like just just like, look at all these things that are happening Mm -hmm. and it's all tying back to hunting. But it's so true because I think that people tend to formulate opinions based on a negative experience or something that, that has an emotional connection to them. And, you know, that's one of my biggest issues with like, you know, ballots and voting and these things. It's, it's, you have to be very diligent and not just like getting so married to your opinion based off of like a short term experience or something Mm -hmm. negative that happened that you can't bring justice to understanding how it all plays out and how it's all tied together. Um, because I think a lot of times we just, we, we have that one initial, you know, thought or experience or something happens or we hear something. I mean, sometimes formulations of opinion can just be based on what your friend's experience was, you know? So I think it's really important to do your own research and to be able to know from both sides how, you know, a decision or how something will affect the big picture. You're totally right on that. So what do, what do you think are the biggest, you know, when I look at, at, at hound hunting and I've never been on a hound hunt, I don't even know exactly what my opinion is, again, because I don't have those experiences. So for me, I don't feel like it's a fair, you know, like to cling to one side or the other. I'm kind of just right down the middle and going like, I'd love to learn more about it. For me, the things that I see, which you and I have talked privately about are when people post things, you know, whether it's regarding hound hunting or normal hunting or whatever, in just a way that doesn't portray our big picture of being hunters, which I think that we can all argue we should all be ethical, right, and have a moral compass that guides our decisions when we're taking game. But I think that there is a bad representation of of all of those things, and sometimes it skews our view on what that really is. So what is hound hunting? How do you see it being done? How should it be done in a way that it, it really isn't, you know, bad for the game, bad for the hounds, and it, it can be used as a method that really helps control and manage populations? Uh, that comes down to one word, and that's discipline to me. Um, if you're not disciplined yourself, you're never going to have disciplined hounds. And if you don't use common sense yourself, you're never going to be able to use common sense with your hounds. If you're not consistent with yourself, you're never going to be able to be consistent with your hounds. I think it comes down to the person and how they grew up and their own mentality. Like, I've seen houndsmen that have, like, the most unruly dogs, and their kids are unruly, too. It's Mm -hmm. like, everybody's just wild Indians. But then it comes down to... You know, I've met houndsmen that have, you know, their dogs have manners. Like my dogs, I can each I can call each dog out of the dog box one by one, put their collar on, and then they get out of the dog box. They all know what sit means. They know what come means. They know what here means. They know what load up means. Um, if if we're at a tree, all I have to do is whistle, and they all walk behind me or in front of me back to the truck. You know, I think it just comes down to that. And then when it comes to social media, the demise of all things, right? Mm-hmm. But we love it. So know what you post on social media. Like, just be mindful of what you're posting on social media. And it comes down to storytelling. I mean, you have these people out here that are really good at storytelling. Donnie Vincent's one of them. Um, there's so many other great storytellers, and it's kind of moving into this you know the youtube videos of hunts and everybody videoing and photographing their hunts and putting out these videos and you know the emotion behind it and the hard work and the persistence well when you're posting all that stuff because you want people to be okay with you harvesting wild game instead of going to the grocery store well you have to do the same thing with hound dogs and a lot of people don't comprehend that certain people may look at, you know, hound hunting a certain way by just a picture or video. So I'm always super mindful about how I post my pictures 
because you have to think about it as this picture or this video is going to be seen by people in groups that, you know, might take it the wrong way. So post, post a picture and a video in a way that you can't misinterpret it mm-hmm. is kind of how I post. And I think that that gets lost in a lot of different hunting aspects and heavily in houndsmen because some of them are just wild and they don't get anything of it. But I think that it, it's, it's starting to be a trend now where people are starting to speak up like, hey, take this video down or hey, take this picture down. It doesn't look good. Mm-hmm. And that's just kind of the way it is. And then you have people that are like, I don't care. So you can't change people. It's just how it is. But if the majority of us can be mature and, you know, post respectfully, I think that is eventually going to be the bigger picture. I mean, people have to understand nowadays that social media is can go so many different ways. But I think, I mean, it can be really good and it can be really bad. All right, I'm going to interrupt this conversation just for a minute because I want to make sure that you're a part of the Women of WA project. So this is something that gets delivered to your inbox every week. And I'm going to pause right there because I know that subscribing to one more thing does not sound that appealing, but I give you my word, this is not something that is going to overload you with spam. It's not going to put a bunch of sales in your inbox. This is literally going to be information tips on life, recipes, advice on training, and mindset pieces that are going to help you stay on track and be your best self. You can find the link to get in and get subscribed to this so you can be a part of the community in the show notes. Just head to herinspiredfitness.com or of course you can check out the show notes here in the podcast app that you're listening to find the link and to get involved. We can't wait to see you on the inside. Oh, I totally agree. I 100, I I couldn't agree more. Like I feel the same way. There's so many things about social media that I, I really enjoy. Like for me, I, I have the opportunity just to connect with some awesome people. There's also in the same breath, I hate it at the same time, because I think that there's just so much, you know, inauthenticity. There's a lot of, you know, people that like have just these mind game struggles or comparison issues or whatever. And a lot of that stems from social media. So I think if you can have a healthy perspective and always just be very aware of like what you're doing and what it means and what it could mean from somebody, you know, looking on the outside in, um, I think it's, you know, it can be served and, and used for good. But yeah, I think it, social media could be a lot of things for sure. I literally think there needs to be like an end time to social media. Like, okay, social media is open from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. And then it gets closed down and you can't <laughs> look at it until the next day. Because seriously, you go to work all day, right? And then you get home or you're driving home. Cause some people still look when they're driving. And you get home and you're sitting there scrolling through your social media and mm-hmm. you're supposed to be with your boyfriend, your husband, your kids, your parents, and you're not present. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because you're just like glued to your phone. And then you don't realize you're out to dinner and then you're checking it like every two minutes. You just naturally pick up your phone, scroll through and put it back down. Mm-hmm. And it's like people aren't mindful of it. Maybe lack of self-awareness. I'm not quite sure. Or just bad habit. Whatever it is, I, I think it's hilarious. I, I think they're timer on it like okay it's open eight to five and then it shuts down well yeah totally sidebar but I think that you're right it's a it's a balance of or imbalance of lack of control and it's a habit like there's it was it's actually kind of funny because I would say that I'm somebody who I frequent social media for mostly Instagram I I don't have anything else outside of social or outside of Instagram that I care too much about but um, I'll check like my DMs and I'll talk to people. So for me, it's like I almost use it more like texting. Um, but, I, but I don't spend time just randomly scrolling Instagram because for me, it's such a time suck. If you do, all of a sudden you're like, shit, where did that 30 minutes just go? Like I had no idea. Like I, you can almost do it mindlessly. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think it's interesting because the other day my phone had died. It was completely dead. But it was still in my pocket for what reason? I have no idea why it wasn't on the charger. Um, and I went to the bathroom because this is just me being completely honest here. A lot of times I will go through either my emails or I'll respond to messages when I'm going pee. 
Um, and so I, t- I took it out of my pocket and I put it up on the thing and then I pressed like the home button to like light it up and I was like, oh, it's dead. And I did that, you know, just throughout the day a couple times. And every time I did, it made me very, like, I almost like snapped back into it. Like, oh, you were just going to check your phone again. You know, like had my phone though had like lit up and turned on, I would have never thought about it. But because it was, because it was dead, I was like, oh yeah, you were just checking your phone again. You know what I mean? So it's very interesting because I feel like I have a decent, like a pretty healthy relationship with that. And still I was like, oh yeah, that was just going to be totally automatic, you know, instead of just being a conscious thought. It is funny the certain things that make you realize it. Like I'm at a cell phone reception a lot and... So, like, when I'm out of cell phone reception for days in a row, I don't even think about it. In fact, when I get back to cell phone reception, I'm like, oh, shoot, where's my phone? And then, like, I go into, like, a panic mode (laughs) because I'm like, did I leave it on the mountain or is it in one of my horse's saddlebags or did my mule step on it? Like, I go into, like, this panic and then I realize, oh, it's right in the top pocket of my backpack and it's dead. So then I plug it in and it's like, ding, 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 you know, going off like crazy. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I have to check so much stuff. And then I like, then I like instantly get right back into the swing of like, okay, my phone's on. Here comes texting. Here comes Instagram. You know, here comes eBay. And then it's all like there. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I just totally forgot about it for the six, day, six days I was on the mountain. And then. Now that I'm back in cell phone service, I'm like, here we go again, back to my bad habits. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's so easy. I use the um, the trackers, so I have one for Instagram so I can watch my average on there. Um, I try to keep it at under an hour, which typically it's around either like 38 to 46 minutes per day average use. Um, but I have that because I think it is sometimes if you're not being very like cognizant of your time and where it's being spent, it will get eaten up somewhere. Um, I also use a screen time um, tracker for my phone just for general use. So I can always look to see like every Sunday it will update me to say, you know, hey, you've spent three hours and 20 minutes per day on your phone or whatever. But um, my kids don't have social media. Uh, They don't even have phones. I'm kind of like this trying to keep them like behind the times a little bit. But at the same time, I'm kind of terrified for the moment when they do get phones and just like how... You know, I see so many young people now just like completely engulfed. Um, Like if I go to my son's like basketball game or if we're at events or if I'm around the high school or something like these kids literally can't see anything else. Like they never look up off of their screen, you know, Um, or you'll see like that three year old or the mom who's and trust me, I get it. But the mom who's like trying to get through grocery shopping. So the kid's like on a tablet or something the entire time. It's like. I wonder in the future if this just continues in the way that it is going, which I can't see it deviating from this point, but what this is going to mean for like mental health or, you know, suicide rates and just like things like that. I feel like it can be very unhealthy. So here's just a little like shout out to going, all right, let's make sure we're all being very cognizant of the time that we're spending, you know, behind a screen, unpurposeful time, you know? I think it's so unfortunate and sad. Like, I literally grew up outside, and my parents had to drag me in. I mean, I was, like, eight years old, and I was six miles away from my house. Can you imagine parents doing that nowadays? No. They would be in so much trouble. It's, 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 It's wild to me. But I grew up so comfortable in nature that, like, I'm uncomfortable in town. You know what I mean? So it's like, whereas kids nowadays, it's like technology, technology, and they have zero concept of anything outside of their house, school, technology, like, ah, it drives me crazy. I don't have kids yet or anything like that, so I'm in the clear right now, but... <laughs> the day that I get married and have kids, I swear I'm moving to Alaska where it just doesn't, you know, there's not much cell phone service mm-hmm. and I can just raise my kids in the wild or back to northern Maine because totally. there's minimal cell phone service up there. But it's like such a disconnect. It drives me crazy. 
Speaking of losing service and getting out and enjoying the outdoors, I want to talk about spring bear season here in Oregon. It opens because you told me when, because I was a total idiot and missed the draw this year, but it opens here on April 1st. So I want to talk about um, just where they're going to be, how you can find them, where you should look, where you should sit, what time of day, um, kind of what that looks like. I also want to touch a little bit on identifying and getting a good gauge because I know as far as sex and size, it can be really hard to determine in the field, um, especially if they're in an open clear cut where you don't have a lot to gauge besides maybe some stumps, right? And those can have a huge range. So let's talk about your approach to spring bear hunting. You spend a lot of time in the field, so you're going to have a little bit more advantage as to as opposed to somebody who might be getting out on the weekend. But You've got your tag. It's April 1st. You're going out. What is going to be your tactics for getting a spring bear notched? So I, this is going to be my first spring bear hunt ever. Um, we don't have spring bear tags back home. So normally in the spring, like if I was back home in Maine, normally in the spring, I would be trapping bears. And we always set our snares for the trap line. Um, so I used to trap bears, little side note. I used to trap bears with help the state of Maine for collaring and tagging. Uh, they've been doing this program for over 25 years. So it happens every May and June. Um, and it's when everybody comes out of the den and everybody's looking around for food. So we had kind of our designated areas. There were three areas in the state where we would have over 200 traps out uh, to trap and collar. So spring bear hunting is totally different concept for me but i feel like i'm gonna try and use my knowledge from the trap line on where to find them even though maine is the polar opposite landscape as oregon maine's more like tundra-ish up in the north part where i'm at versus over here it's well it's wild over here but (laughs) i think that i'm probably gonna go for i'm just gonna start scouting come i start range riding heavily in an April. So I'm just going to start scouting around the areas and I'm going to start looking for um, pregnant cows and fawns. So once I start finding that, because the bears are going to come out going after fawns and calves. So once I, which I, I kind of have all my elk herds kind of figured out because it goes back to the wolf stuff. Um, So I'm just going to start following that around and then start going with the super grassy areas. That's where I'm going to start looking. And I'm probably going to hunt Jackson County because that's where I do most of my range riding. (laughs) So that's where I'll be looking. But it's going to be so different for me, again, because I only shot one bear last fall. Uh, Work kind of get in the way, but I took two weeks off, got one bear. And, you know, that was my first spot in stock. So having to do it in the spring now much different food source i'm gonna i'm gonna have to probably put more time into scouting within the next couple of weeks Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. then you know april into may because i mean there's bears already out i've caught tracks a few times while i was out checking um cameras around some of my ranches so i think I think I'm just going to start getting a swing of things and what they're doing and just find their food source, what they're, what they're eating. I know where all my, my cow elk are and I know where my deer herds are. So I'm just going to start paying attention to that stuff a lot more than I already am, which is pretty heavy because of the wolf stuff. But once I figure that out, I think I'll hopefully be able to narrow in on a nice good size boar hopefully well and it's interesting because it's it's always going to be changing to some degree depending on what mm-hmm. the winter was like you know what mm-hmm. snowpack levels are this year was a pretty mild winter to say the least here in Oregon um so mild you know in, in most places anyway so it's going to be a little bit different this year we're going to start seeing bears a lot earlier um out and about like you said you've already seen some tracks I haven't been out so I haven't seen anything yet um or heard from anybody is that they're out but typically in my experience Experience. I go for clear cuts on the south facing, try to find those grassy areas, like you said, because um, they're going to be getting more sun right now. That's typically where I see them more often um, early on anyways, is where it's going to be kind of um, open. In my experience, too, they don't seem to care too much about, you know, the time of day. Uh, yeah. you're, you're as <laughs> likely to see them in the afternoon or midday than you are early morning or late night. Sometimes I actually feel like midday 
um, early, early season can be better than either, you know, dawn or dusk anyways. Do you feel like that's probably pretty accurate as well? You know, bears aren't, they don't care. (laughs) I have officially decided that bears are like honey badgers. They don't care. It can be, I've seen more bears in the morning. I've seen, then I turn around the next day and I see more bears in the afternoon. And then the next day I see more bears in the middle of the day. And then the next day I check the camera and I have more bears in the middle of the night. (laughs) So I just officially have zero things to say about that situation because through all my experiences, and I've bear hunted in 13 different states with dogs, or and now this spot and stock state, I, I I haven't found a time where they're like them is like where they're officially out all the time, like and that's their time. I mean, just the way bears operate, they are opportunistic. They eat everything, so they're not picky, you know. Uh, they just wallow around through the woods, moseying along. They're not patternable like deer are uh, or elk or anything like that. They're just moseying along. And then they're like, okay, I'm just going to take a nap right here. This is a great spot. And then they nap. And then they wake up and they mosey along. So it's I think it's just kind of like one of those random luck things. And when there is a, a higher concentration of bears, you're going to start, you know, you're going to see more bears and depending on when you are personally out like if you're out in the morning more and you're out every single morning well you're probably going to see more bears in the morning if you're out every single day in the afternoon after you get off work well that's might be when you see the most bears but if you're out all day long i mean you're going to be seeing bears at all different times of day i mean the first two weeks i was hunting I saw plenty of bears in the morning. I saw plenty of bears in mid-afternoon, and I saw plenty of bears in the evening. So I don't think that there's, you know, I haven't run into a certain time where they're, you know, out more than the others. I think it's just how much you're out there and where exactly you are. And two, it's also going to their food. Yeah, it's also going to play into the exposure. So how much area pressure, you know, that that specific spot's getting. If you're in a, you Mm -hmm. know, logging area where there's going to be some, you know, active logging operations going on, uh, you're probably not going to see a ton of bears during those hours. Once those trucks leave, it can literally be five minutes later. I've seen it happen. Log trucks pull out five minutes later. It's like the bears are like, cool coast is clear they're gone and they they will they will come out right where they were just logging you know so exactly it's it's just one of those things where bears aren't you know they're just they know the deal that you know they're out there all the time they know what logging trucks sound like they know what human vehicles sound like they know what humans are they know where their food is you know they're following their nose they they can smell the peanut butter sandwich they can smell the perfume the lotion that you wore when you made your peanut butter sandwich four days after you ate that sandwich you know what i mean they're just they're just crazy yeah you definitely won't beat the bear's nose that's for sure you have to really consider the wind when you're when you're on a bear hunt too oh yeah bear's noses are the number one eyesight not so much but their noses are the number one yeah so wind is definitely i mean i've jumped bears i've been walking into a clear cut you know walking down the road and i've jumped two bears just from me walking you know down the road i spooked them and then i go sit down and after the thermals go through they end up coming back out to the clear cut but they're way down at the bottom you know Mm -hmm. what i mean so Mm -hmm. it's it's just one of those things if you're in a heavy bear area, you shouldn't have problems. Just going to know what you're looking for and put your time in. Yeah. So then then the matter becomes, you know, you're going to probably see if you're in the right areas, an area that's not getting a ton of other traffic or you have people out there sighting in their guns, you know, all day long or whatever, you're going to end up seeing them. So then the next part comes, you know, how do you judge? Because I've seen a lot of people, um, you know, shoot a bear and they walk up to their and they're like, Oh, dear Jesus, like this is a baby, you know, so (laughs) some things to look for. um, Obviously, you're probably going to have a lot more than I do. But just as a basic, you can look for, you know, like how long do their legs look? How long do their feet look? Um, You know, if they're kind of moving around like you would expect like a young animal to move around. Um, and not kind of lumbering back and forth or taking their time a little bit more. I think that's typically when I see, you know, a more juvenile or, or adolescent bear. Um, and then two, when you're looking at, 
uh, head size and ear size, if their ears look giant, you know, with their body, they're probably going to be a younger bear. If their ears are a little bit harder to identify, then you're probably looking at, you know, moving up in age just a little bit. Um, also, and you probably uh, can attest to this, like if you're looking at the ass end of a bear, uh, from what I've experienced and from what I've seen, sows will t- typically have, um, they'll sit higher in their, their backside and boars will actually just kind of like drop off. It's almost like that, that butt's gone. What yeah, you... that's why I call him the old long back. <laughs> <laughs> like an old man, just like kind of like yeah. a hunched over old man. Yeah. Yeah. No tush, just straight long back. <laughs> yeah. So do you have yeah, a, so, a, a method for like, you know, gauging ears or where the ears are located? As, and I know, again, every bear is different, but what are your thoughts on that? So the ear thing is very true, but um, so younger bears' ears are ginormous. They, I mean, they look like Dumbo and they're always sitting super high on the head. The older or the bigger the bear the more they're going to sit like off to the side and they're going to be much smaller. So the ear size is huge, but you have to remember you're not sitting in front of, you know, you're not sitting 30, 40 yards from a bait site with a barrel that you know, it's a 50 gallon drum. So if the bear is over the barrel, it's a shooter. You don't have this. So what I always like to do is like last August, I obviously did my scouting before season started and I just walked through the clear cut because, like you said, you mentioned this earlier, stumps, they come in all shapes and sizes. Mm-hmm. And when you're a thousand yards away on a road and you're looking down and you see the stump and you're like, oh, that must be, you know, a 20 dBH tree. That's a big tree. And you go down there and it's like the size of your thigh. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to use that stump. So I always walk through the clear cut and just kind of take like mental notes of, just like you do, see, I don't know how much tree stand hunting you guys do out here. Not much from what I've heard. But, like, when you're in the tree stand bow hunting, you kind of pick certain trees that you know what yardages mm-hmm. the trees are away from you, right? So I kind of take that mentality because I grew up bow hunting in tree stands. I take that mentality and I put it into this spot and stock bear hunting. So I take my mental note of stumps or brush piles or giant boulders because western Oregon's crazy and has this crazy rocky terrain and I just take that mental note and I'm like okay this is probably like if the bear is up to this part it's probably you know over 150 pounds so I take those mental notes early on before the season opens so that way when I'm up on the road and I'm looking down and everything looks huge in your field glasses but it's really not I kind of use that to my advantage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been hunting bears my entire life and guiding bears and trapping bears and collaring bears for so long. I don't really have the trouble, you know, calling out a bear weight. So I'm just trying to think of other things that I try and tell people to do that, like through guiding. Yeah, I think the best thing you can do is kind of go in and have a mental note just as you would go hunting, mm-hmm. weight-wise. Yeah. And then gut. Gut is huge. A young bear isn't going to have a beer gut. That's what I always tell people. Like, I used to tell my clients who would sit over a bay pile, I would say, okay, there's a big white drum here. It's a 50-gallon 50, 50 drum, right? So if the bear is over, if the bear's back is over that, then it's probably over 180 pounds. If it's belly dragging on the ground, that's well over a 350-pound bear. Mm -hmm. So always look at the stomach. If the stomach is super tight up and they almost look hunchbacked, that's going to be a super young bear. You know, they're just kind of floating along. And that's most likely going to be sows. I mean, it's very rare that you see a sow over 300 pounds because they lose so much of their body weight having cubs in the den. So they don't grow as big as boars do. That's the other thing. And then for spring bear season, I mean, you know, sow or not, uh, unless it's her dry year, you know, you could do the backside test like you were talking about. But most sows, because sows have cubs every other year, so, but when they come out of the den, there's always going to be something with them for the most part. Mm -hmm. So they're either going to be these, you know, little puppy dog size cubs or they're going to be her second year cubs 
which is this is, you know, if they're her second year cubs, this is when she starts kicking them out so that she can breed. <laughs> so generally speaking, she's most likely going to have something with her. So that'll be easy to figure out because you'll see the cubs playing all around, mm-hmm. even second year cubs. They're super playful. I think something that people worry about, I've never had this experience um, because I've been mostly just in open, kind of more open country or, or clear cuts. But if you see a bear, you happen to be in a little bit thicker area or in some timber and you're not quite sure, you can't get a guess on if she's a sow or if it's a boar. There's no positive identification, apparently, you know, obviously. Um, how like closely will those cubs be following along before, you know, okay, it is a sour, you know, it's a, it's a bear without cubs in tow. Oh, they could not be close at all. I mean, they're out there playing and she knows where they are. She's got incredible hearing. They could not be close or if it's a thick area, like Maine is super thick. So this whole thick situation is super common for me. Um, I think that's when it would come down to listening and paying attention. And if you're not comfortable thinking, if you're thinking it's out, you can always wait for the next bear or just take the shot. I mean, cubs, first year cubs in the, in the fall, they most likely will survive in the spring, less likely survival rates. I mean, nature is cruel anyway, a boar could come in and, take them down so that he can breed to the sow. It's just one of those things. I I think that's just a hunting judgment call and experience judgment call. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Will those cubs typically be vocal when they're playing or will you just be listening for things like brush noises and and whatnot? Yeah, they're vocal. (laughs) They're really obnoxious. (laughs) I've only heard cubs twice. Uh, once was down in southern Oregon, and then once was over on the coast. And they were vocal when I heard them. But you know, that's not to say that I haven't. They haven't been there other times where I haven't. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you could just kind of imagine like, like a, a young human or a young puppy or whatever. You know, they're going to be making those playful noises. So I think that's probably a good rule of thumb. Like if you can't positively identify, you know, that it's a sow without, then probably is good to just refrain from taking the shot. Um, at least that's in I mean, if, my opinion. if you're hunting in tight areas and the bigger bear starts turning around, I mean, you're going to see the balls of a boar. They're very <laughs> out there. <laughs> like, yeah. that's how we, that's like when they're treed, it, that's all you can basically yeah. see is the balls. <laughs> so it's just one of those things. I mean, it depends on how much you're paying attention. I mean, you have to figure they're rolling around all the time. They're laying on their back. If you're sitting there watching them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, unless it's just passing through pretty quickly, that's when I would start questioning where your position is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Makes sense. Well, I think, you know, get out there, get on those, you know, south-facing slopes. They can be anywhere, but typically south-facing with lots of good grass, you know, timber close by so they have some cover to move out, you know, in the morning or afternoon or whatever time they decide to get with the program and get out to start munching. But they're going to be eating all day long. So, you know, if you're sitting next to food, if you're going to be there frequenting that spot, um, you're going to end up seeing them. The other thing too, sure. and, and you kind of mentioned this there, it's nice to be able to have a couple areas where you can glass and spend time waiting and watching that are close together. You can bounce back and forth to those areas. Um, you know, if you're seeing, if you're out for a while, you spend a couple hours on a spot, you're not seeing anything, you can kind of go to the other area. Um, and I think it's also kind of nice when you do have good optics or, you know, obviously go spring bear hunting with some glass, but um, once they start to grub and hit those logs, you'll really be able to, you can just like with your naked eye, look out at a unit and you can tell, you can see if those, uh, logs have been freshly disturbed or not. So that's kind of another nice indication as well. Oh, for sure. There's so much sign when it comes to bears. I mean, they're not, they're not, they're not like mountain lions. You know, they, they have, they defecate all over the roads. They're all over the place, you know. You can't walk down a logging road in August without running into bear shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not... You can... You take a five-mile hike through the woods, you're going to run into either a bee's nest dug up in the ground, which I thank for every single time, because I'm the person who always walks into a bee's nest. <laughs> or, um, you know, rocks pulled over, or a dead log rolled over, because 
they're eating grubs and ants and all that stuff. So if you just pay attention and know your animal, I grew up with my grandfather telling me, if you're going to trap this animal, you need to know everything that the animal does so that you can successfully trap that animal instead of not targets. So I've always gone into hunting in my career in the same mentality. I just know the animal before I go out and do anything with the animal. Because the better you know the species you're hunting or trapping, the better you're going to be able to be successful the same with hound dogs like if you know bobcats and how bobcats run and operate when being chased or just in their natural habitat you're gonna know oh yeah that's a cat you know they're running the cat instead of a deer so it's it's just knowing your game yeah and it's fun it's fun to learn more about the the animals that you're pursuing or you know maybe you're not even the hunter but you can still be out there and, and helping to identify those things um, and get a better understanding of that too. It, it also, you know, heightens the appreciation for the harvest, in my opinion. For sure. Awesome. Well, I want to talk about wolf hunting, but we are an hour in, so we're going to have to make it uh, another time to talk about wolves and what you do with that um, and that whole thing, because that's certainly an area with a lot of rabbit holes. Um, but if people <laughs> want to reach out to you, Alyssa, where are they where can they find you? Um, Instagram. So it's on the hunt and you'll probably tag me or you've tagged me in plenty of stuff. So that's easy enough. I want to make sure they can get a hold of you. I don't really do Facebook. Yeah. Uh, Facebook. Yeah. Not my favorite. (laughs) Cool. Well, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate you getting on and your area of expertise and your knowledge. So thank you very much. Thanks. I had fun. Well, ladies, that does it for this show for today. I hope that you found some inspiration, some good advice, and definitely some encouragement to take with you on the rest of your week. I'm already looking forward to coming back next week and giving you some more insight, some inspiration, and some tips on how to navigate your best life. Please be sure to hit the subscribe button and leave a review. Your feedback is so important to me. I would love to know the questions that you have, any topics or ideas, and your feedback. You are so valuable to me and I really appreciate you taking the time to leave the review and subscribe to the show. See you next week on Her Inspired Journey.